0: Remain open to 2 Corinthians. Our, Our text today is found in verse 12 through 17. And as we prepare to think about this passage before us, I want to impress upon us the purpose of this passage. It is a text of both bondage and triumph, of setback and victory, of sacrifice and calling. It reminds us that even when there are setbacks in our ministries, our lives, our workplaces, and our families, that the Lord is and remains triumphant. He is triumphant in our anxieties. He's triumphant in our victories. And He is triumphant in our calling. And that is what we'll see in 2 Corinthians here before us now. But before we hear the Word of God, let us pray very briefly. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for a word such as this. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you soften our hearts towards repentance unto Christ, but even then that we would be bolstered in his name as we receive the word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Will you stand with me as we read the word one more time from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me and the Lord... My spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, And among those who are perishing, to one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak Christ. This is the Word of God. We are thankful for it, and you may be seated. As you're seated, I am reminded of uncertain times in my own life. I am sure each and every one of you here is acquainted with much uncertainty. Uh, The past few years, if nothing else, have revealed to us as an American people that times can be and will be uncertain I don't know about you, but a couple of years back when uh, March 2020 hit, I was just freshly ordained and I remember going to Walmart for the first time and going down the toilet uh, paper aisle and finding no toilet paper. I, I w- my family thankfully didn't need it, but I saw on the internet uh, that there was no toilet paper to be found in the United States. And sure enough, in Tuscumbia, we had no toilet paper at all, it was picked clean. And then I heard of potential meat shortages And being, instead of part of the solution, part of the problem, I bought 10 pounds of ground beef a week in order to protect my family from starvation. Some of my friends in Tuscumbia went on to buy 50 pounds of rice and 50 pounds of beans, and I still think they're eating them uh, today. Uh, But in uncertain times, we can get kind of desperate. Uh, Maybe some of the moms in here spent some time having a sourdough kick as our own household mom did, and we hadn't needed more yeast, all gone. Maybe you're a high schooler or middle schooler who had no school and you started to long for it, or maybe you're homeschooled here and you never stopped school, I lament for you, but they were uncertain times, weren't they? We still experience some of that even within our broader culture today as we hear of supply chain issues as they persist, whether it's baby formula, microchips, or soaring inflation. Times seem uncertain but paul is well acquainted with uncertain times and in this passage we see much uncertainty within his ministry he is experiencing ministerial setbacks with a church that he had just written to in the corinthian church he is familiar with setbacks and he is familiar with the heartache that comes with them what were paul's setbacks well, you see in the church of Corinth there were some who had risen up from the ranks and sought to supersede Paul. Paul would later ironically in this book actually impress upon the Corinthians a funny name of super apostles. He would name them much as the Christians would be named and they would stick, these super apostles in Corinth who were stirring up all sorts of problems. Paul was heartbroken over this congregation. You've heard perhaps of a severe letter that Paul wrote to these believers, hoping to revive their love for Christ, but also their ministry there. We don't know if we have it. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians. I'll let uh, you all decide whether that's the letter we have or not. But it is a difficult ministry, as Paul writes here. The fate of the church potentially could be at risk. And he is worried. It's not all bad. The ministry has done well for the most part. But false teachers from this church risk the upheaval of the church itself. Sometimes there are setbacks within our own ministries. Sometimes there are setbacks within our own lives. The church isn't growing as we envisioned. Our homes aren't as ordered as we would like. And in uncertain times, we can have the temptation to question our previous commitments. We can question the trajectories that we are currently on. We can perhaps question whether the countenance of God is upon us. We can be a little like the Corinthians, who saw the difficulties of Paul's life and sought help from others. We look for help. We look for super apostles, for super pastors, for super elders, for super moms, for super doctors in order to help us through setback and uncertainty. Maybe you can empathize with that, perhaps even as a congregation, as you have dealt with blow after blow, setback after setback. But what is impressive here today, both in the words of Paul but also for you, is that in the midst of that setback, there is triumph. In the midst of discouragement and uncertainty, there is hope. When our hearts are downcast and set back, we must remember that Christ triumphs in uncertain times. We see this throughout this passage, but first I want you to turn your attention to the first two verses. And what we see in this passage and how how that unfolds is that we see that Christ actually is triumphant in our anxiety. Look down at verse 12 with me. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. In the Christian church, you might think that having concerns might be sin themselves. I'm sure that once I've blurted out that main point that Christ is triumphant in our anxiety, you said, but wait. Philippians 4, do not be anxious in anything. But like cholesterol, there is both good and bad anxiety. And Paul's anxiety here, his concern for the church of Corinth, is a good concern to have. We can be concerned in the church. We can be concerned in the family. And you should never feel at odds with God with the concerns you have for His people. That godly concern can quickly turn into ungodly concern with how we respond. But concerns itself are something that the apostle here is contending with. What are his concerns? We mentioned them briefly. The false teaching. He worried that those false teachers in Corinth would hijack the ministry that he had established there. And he was concerned that these false teachers would upheave all of the work and progress that he had made within this church. And these apostles, like modern Joel Olsteins, had a very appealable mission. They had a very appealable approach to preaching and teaching you wanted to be like the super apostles the apostles themselves would probably say these super ones well you follow paul you'll become like paul you'll be destitute you'll suffer you'll be hated you might die you'll become weak and unreliable when is the last time paul's even visited you setback after setback has kept him from you but look at us We've had a hundred new conversions this week. We've had a hundred new pledges to the church. We are the real deal. Upheaving the ministry of Paul. But Paul's not only concerned with this false teaching. He's not only concerned with the, the future of the church of Corinth, but he's also concerned for his brother's return. The most striking, the most explicit concern that Paul has in this text is that Titus has not returned to him. He is concerned for his brother to return. You can see that they have talked extensively about where they would meet because Titus has not met in Troas and Paul would have to soon leave in just a verse later to go to Macedonia. I would imagine the discussion that Paul and Titus had was meet me here so that we might minister here but if you are delayed then meet me in Macedonia. You see the winter was coming and Trade routes on this route would have been difficult to muster, even for a young Titus. But there had been setbacks. There had been delays. Titus was not able to get home as quick as he intended. And like those who have concerns, I think Paul's mind jumps the gun. Why was Titus delayed? There could have been all sorts of reasons. But if I were Paul, and I'm not, I would assume that the ministry and meeting in Corinth had not gone well. You see, Titus was the farrier of a letter, and Titus was delivering a letter to the Corinthians, and he was called by Paul to return back and to report the findings of how the church received that letter. And for a delay to come from the, to the apostle, for him not to join there, to miss the rendezvous, would have communicated to Paul that Titus' work was not done in Corinth. It had not gone as he had expected. So much so that as Paul sends 1 Corinthians with Titus, that Paul starts to write 2 Corinthians. I mean, that's the concern of the apostle. He's so concerned that he writes another letter to them without knowing how they received the first. Wondering, perhaps, was I too harsh with them? Would it be too difficult I assume that you are a people that have had much concern in your life. After our first tr- visit to Troy a few weeks ago, our little boys were diagnosed with RSV. I told all the parents that we were mealing, having a meal with, oh, don't worry. It's just, you know, it's nothing. Well, they had RSV, so sorry. If you, I know you had a, a COVID outbreak not too long ago uh, when you had a missionary visit, but if you had RSV, that was the Edbergs. You can't invite anyone to this church. It's a uh, It is a disaster, but our little boy got RSV, and he had an ear infection. He was just not doing well, Uh, and near the end of that recovery, we decided, at least the doctor decided to give him some, you know, one-year-old shots, and at the end of that, he had hives, and so we had RSV, ear infections, and hives. He looked like a little cheetah as we were, uh, it, it was very, you know, concerning at the time. It's a little more healed at this point. But we were concerned for our little boy, and I remember that concern as I was reading Paul here of rocking my little one a little longer those nights, worried for him. Fortunately, at First Pres, the main profession is doctor, and so there are lots of doctors to help. Uh, You have engineers. I don't know what you all can help with, but we have doctors. And so they, they helped us through, but I rocked little Charles a little longer. I was concerned for the night ahead. I was concerned, how would he fare through the night? What kind of reaction is he having to the vaccine or all the sickness and medicine that he's been pumped in and with? We were concerned. And what I'm reminded by both Paul in this passage, but also regularly, is that we are called, as Philippians tells us, to pray about our concerns. Those nights where we are left awake a little longer than we would please We are to offer ourselves to God. What distinguishes then godly anxiety from ungodly anxiety is that godly anxiety produces hope, love, and prayer within the life of the believer. It leads us to trust that even in the midst of our concern that the Lord will be gracious to us. It's a reminder that the Father knows us. He knows what your church has gone through. He knows what you have gone through. And even if waiting seems unbearable, you can empathize with Paul here as he waits for his son in the faith to return with good news. When our hearts are downcast and set back, we must remember that Christ triumphs in uncertain times. We see that he triumphs in our anxiety, but the great crescendo of this text is that Christ is triumphant in his victory. Look down at verse 14 with me. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, but to the other, a fragrance of life to life. This is the most curious part of this entire passage. Everyone should go home tonight and study it well. What is this victorious procession, this triumphal procession that Paul is referencing to here? Well, in the ancient world, after a war, not just any war, a great war, a great conquest would conclude, and you were victorious, you had one of these processions. You might have a little parade here and there for a minor victory, but the profession here, the procession here, is that like that of World War II, of July 4th, a procession of great victory, of independency and triumph. But what was included in these parades is almost emblematic of how Paul outlines these few verses. As any parade, the first people that would lead through the city would be those who paid for the parade, and like the ancient world is not much, the more things change the more they stay the same you can guess it it was the senators the senators led the triumphal procession as the ones who said look at us we paid for everything behind us maybe not that different than our own politicians today but what followed them were trumpets to sound the alarm everyone come to the streets hear the great victory that we have experienced look right behind us at the spoils of the enemies that we have defeated. After the spoils, you would see the art flow through the procession. What kind of art was this? Well, in the ancient world, you sent artists to war. And those artists would paint the victorious battles that they would witness. Great triumph for the city and the town to see how has our army fared over our enemies. You'd gawk, you would love, you'd salivate at seeing the spoils of riches but also what had happened in the war themselves then would come sacrifice your animals would parade through as they would lead to their own temple god to be killed in homage and love for that god and then the enemy generals the enemy generals carted along to certain death for defying those who they lost to The priests, shortly after, would have their incense, an incense that was particularly made for this one event, smelled by the Roman people maybe once in their lifetime to signify a great victory. And then it was the victorious general himself, in a purple toga, ornate, ready to receive the grandeur and glory for all of his conquest. And after him, his soldiers... And those slaves that were freed in the conquest. Why outline such a triumphal procession? Because it is very contested who you are in this procession. We could all debate. You probably have all identified as something. I hope none of you identified as the victorious general in this passage. Because you are not Christ. But there are lots of options. Are you those enemies of the Lord who are led to slaughter Are you the soldiers in Christ's army? Are you the slaves that were freed and now get to experience your home once more in love and delight to see your family to be restored? Who are you in this great spectacle where the crowd's sang, Saul killed his thousands and David his 10,000s? Who are you? Well, I think Paul, the easy question is likely a soldier. But I think what Paul has in mind for you is that freed slave. Some commentators think that you're those enemies that would be led to slaughter to death, but I think you're the freed slave that finally makes his way home to be with his family and people. You're the slave that is freed. Imagine the difficulty of being encamped among the enemies in bondage, assuming you would die. I think of World War II as... American soldiers were encamped in Japan, assuming they would die. And now they return home in triumphal procession. Joyous. Paul is reminding us that though battles sometimes seem lost, that there is a greater war to be won. And even great armies have setbacks. And in the midst of those setbacks, Paul recalls upon his mind the triumph of Christ for his people. In the midst of difficulty, he recalls this great triumph. In other words, Paul's anxiety doesn't stay anxiety. His mind, in his own mind's eye, is drawn to this procession here of being welcomed by Christ for his great work in our lives. I love the aroma language of this passage. It reminds us of that aroma that the priest would swing and engulf the whole neighborhood, the whole city with these incense, and that aroma meant two things for two different people. As the passage reveals, both in a historical sense but also in Paul, is for those enemy generals that aroma was not a delightful aroma. That aroma that was only smelled once every hundred years was aroma that would lead to their death. And it is a reminder to Paul, even in the midst of his setbacks in Corinth, that as we read in the first part of uh, chapter 2, that Satan himself will be the enemy carded to be sacrificed. But also those pesky false teachers that seek to upheave the ministry of the word. But for those who are victorious, that smell is of utter delight and life. I, I love barbecuing, and so whenever I see the word aroma, my mind dwells to the barbecue pit. and I'm reminded of a pig I, I just bought from a friend. Uh, he slaughtered his pigs, and of course you have to buy one. Whether you want it or not, you have a half a pig now. And I, I, love, I love grilling and smoking ribs, and there's something about, about it. The whole... Process that is delightful to me. I, I, I rub, you know, I, I lather the thing in brown sugar. This is not a healthy experience. It's lathered in brown sugar, chili pepper, paprika. Halfway through, I, I douse it in, in honey, and then I, 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 I baste it in apple juice for like three hours, four hours. I mean, it's not healthy. I, I but you will likely eat it if you call me as your pastor, so be ready. Uh, be ready for that. But the aroma fills the air. When we were in one of the mansas that we lived in, not the current one, uh, we would sometimes have someone drive up and ask what's going on. There's all this smoke, all this delightful aroma that fills the air. Uh, they always come too soon, so I can't just offer. You know, the barbecue is meant to be shared. But the aroma, it fills the earth. And the, the victorious Christ as His people, there is a pleasant, pleasing aroma to the Father as we follow Him. Have you seen setbacks in your life? Getting back to the main point, even in those setbacks, what the Lord impresses upon this congregation today is to remember that party that is waiting for you, for your people in the Lord Jesus Christ, that great triumphal parade, that great parade that the Lord is preparing for you. I don't know all the details of the last two and a half years for your congregation, but I know that melancholy, depression would set in for me, and it is sometimes a good reminder to not miss the forest for the trees. That Though there is setback, there is true triumph in the Lord. But it doesn't merely have to be your own church. This is found within your family. Your kids regress as they're, as, as they're growing because they have a new kid or something changes in their life. They are now no longer saying mother or father, they're saying mama and dada, and you're like, what has happened? You have setbacks within your own homes. You have setbacks within your careers. You have setbacks within society itself as we experience crushing inflation. There are setbacks all around us, and the reminder and encouragement that is for all of us is to go in our mind's eye every once in a while and remind us that Christ is truly triumphant. That He prepares a parade for all of His freed captives. And you will join Him on those celestial city streets in great triumph. When your hearts are downcast and set back, remember that Christ triumphs in uncertainty. We saw that He triumphs in our anxiety in his victory. But lastly, I want to point you to the last few verses, and that is that Christ is triumphant in our calling. We see Paul's calling in these last few, uh, picking up in the latter half of verse 16, but who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul is contrasting himself in these final two verses against the Joel Olsteins of the Corinthian church, the peddlers of the gospel, as it were, within that church. They preach for their own benefit, for their own glory, out of their own self-sufficiency. They, Paul says, are peddlers of the gospel. They peddle the gospel for their own Benefit. No one likes a peddler. If you visited another country, you don't want to be peddled. My friend and I, one last personal illustration, visited Malawi when we just graduated high school. Uh, he was an Arab Christian. I, I had to reference his uh, nationality because he loved to haggle. And I would send him into the, into the, the peddler's pits to buy me things. Because I, I, I just don't want to deal with peddlers. <laughs> but he always saw an opportunity. No one wants to be peddled. No one wants to be taken advantage of. And these peddlers, these super apostles, are taking advantage of the church for their own gain. Instead of the mission and ministry of Christ, it is about their own self-promotion, advancement, and financial stability. And Paul turns it entirely on its head on what we should view as success here. What is a successful ministry for Paul? Paul outlines it quite simply. Who are sufficient for these things? You might say quickly, no one. But Paul is actually saying he is, quite honestly. And he's saying he is sufficient to be a preacher of the gospel. And he is not a peddler because he comes from a sincere heart as one commissioned by God in the sight of God, speaking Christ. Paul is sufficient to bring the gospel to these people. They think they're being nourished and fed well, but they are not, and they are needing the apostle who does not look out for his own gain. He flips up his own setbacks as a reason for Christ's success. It's a reminder here that Christ works even in our setbacks. He works in the setbacks of Paul because of his calling. Because of his calling. Though Titus has missed their rendezvous and now has traveled to Macedonia to meet with Paul, though Paul has had success in Troas, he leaves. And he sees the calling that the Lord has given before him. It's a simple calling, a calling for every ruling elder and pastor, but also a calling for the congregation itself to remember what the point of the ministry is to be men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God speaking Christ. It's so pithy, so memorable, and it's impressed upon all of our hearts. C.S. Lewis famously said, Out of ourselves and into Christ we must go. And that is the calling for all believers as it is the calling for Paul himself. And so in uncertain times, in setback, we must be vigilant in keeping the mission centered on Christ. It is tempting in the midst of uncertainty to become wayward, to become desperate, to turn our hearts to compromise in order that we might remedy our problem. We might seek to be for the city as the city instead of bringing the gospel to the city. It's in these circumstances that churches often seek to expand their ministry beyond the scope of what Christ outlines. We become more like Kiwanis clubs. Kiwanis clubs are popular in the South. I don't know if you have those here, but Kiwanis clubs, free books, free food, free money, free things. Come and join our church, because we have all these neat and fun things. And in so doing, the temptation is to sideline the true calling, the calling for me as a minister, but also the calling for you as a congregation. What is the mission of the church? It's to preach Christ to a dead and dying world. Remember your calling even in the midst of uncertainty. When our hearts are downcast and set back, we must remember that Christ triumphs in uncertain times. He triumphs. For those who do not know Christ in this congregation here today, this is an imminent reminder that though you may think there is comfort, though you may have uncertain times the only hope you have is the world around you and what is offered to you here today if you do not know him is true hope and comfort that surpasses all external circumstance around you look at how the world over the past couple of years had responded to a pandemic of uncertainty. We threw ourselves over all sorts of promised saviors. Governments, doctors, those who we trusted. And there was little hope, even for those as we put our trust in them. For those apart from Christ, it was a very difficult time. But I hope for this congregation who professes Christ, that it was a time of a people that were able to maintain that triumphant nature. Even as the world fell apart around you in Christ, there was that hope. But for those who are Christians today hearing a passage of triumph, we must remember that we cannot let our joy and optimism die. We look at how the world handled everything in the past couple of years, maybe how you did, and we can become self-loathing. We can become... So disenfranchised from the world that we begin to hate the world and everything in it. We become battlers of culture and our optimism fades. But the church, in the midst of setback, can provide joy. That is what your current city around you needs more than any in the midst of depression and setback. Alexander the Great, we'll close with one of his great quotes. Alexander the Great once received word, and this is how the Christian church should be, he once received word that the Persians were invading, and his advisors warned him that the Persians can send as many arrows in the sky to blot out the sun and to be weary of the impending invasion. To which Alexander replied, good. I like to fight in the shade. May the Christian church be like Alexander the Great, that in the midst of difficulty and setback, rolling up our sleeves to fight the good fight of Christ. In the midst of setback, call upon your King. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray, O Lord, that we would be a people of great triumph, that even in the midst of difficulty, reminding ourselves and one another that you are truly triumphant. And that triumph, O Lord, bring us joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.